welcome to a very special live recording of the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and this is my co-host, Dan Seligson. What's up, Miriam? Hey. We are thrilled to be here at Mamala's with these four outstanding chefs who are bringing Israeli cuisine to greater Boston. Thanks to Mamala's again for hosting this event, offering the amazing food, and tolerating this vegetarian in your midst. And let's give a round of applause to the Jewish Arts Collaborative for co-sponsoring this evening tonight. Thank you. All right, so let's meet our panel and get started. Uh, Michael Leviton is an eight-time James Beard Foundation Award nominee and the chair of Taste of Israel Restaurant Week. After 17 years at Luminaire in West Newton, Michael has stepped away from the day-to-day of the kitchen, and he has since founded Craigie Burger and Movo Consulting Group. Through teaching at Boston University, Michael is now focusing on food systems sustainability, and I practice that a lot, food systems sustainability. Rachel Sundit is owner and pastry chef right here at Mamala's. She worked as a pastry chef at Cambridge's Hungry Mother for five years, where she met her future business partners. Together, they opened State Park, Mamala's, and Café du Pays here in Cambridge. In 2015, Rachel was named a Star Chef's Rising Star Pastry Chef and Boston Magazine's Best Pastry Chef. The cleverly branded Avi Shemtov is the owner and chef of the Chubby Chickpea, a food truck and catering company. He opened the Israeli restaurant Simcha in Sharon last year. He is also the author of the Single Guy Cookbook and a forthcoming Simcha cookbook. Ilan Barniv is owner and chef at Bonapita Mediterranean Bakery and Grill, a quick service restaurant with two Boston locations that focuses on fresh ingredients and clean food. Born in Jerusalem to a family of bakers, Ilan finds inspiration in the rich culinary crossroads of the Mediterranean region. So the plan. We will chat with our panelists for about 40, 45 minutes before we open it up to you, our delightful and pretty large audience, for your questions. We encourage you throughout to laugh, clap, and cheer. We're recording, so the louder the better. (laughs) So Michael, let me start with you since I know you have to leave pretty shortly. Taste of Israel Restaurant Week was inspired by this culinary tour of Israel mentioned earlier that you took in 2018. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the week? Yeah, well, actually, the, the idea for this actually starts uh, a lot before um, that trip two years ago. Um, in a conversation I had with um, Gil Havov at the, uh, and for those of you that don't know Gil, um, he's kind of a celebrity in Israel, written a bunch of cookbooks, does a lot on TV. Um, but he was at the consulate, uh, the consul generals, pushing this notion of Israel is the ultimate culinary melting pot. Right. If you think about, you know, thousands of years of history conquered 40 something times. And then since uh, the rise of Zionism 100 and something years ago, and especially since the founding of the state of Israel 70 something years ago um, and the return from uh, of all those Jews from diaspora and then all the more recent uh, elements of, you know, all these. Uh, young Israeli chefs going out and traveling the world after they did their stint in the army and bringing back um, all of these ideas from all sorts of different cultures. You have a really fascinating mix of super traditional foods from the region, super traditional Jewish food from around the world, and then a very often somewhat unholy mishmash of things from all over the world now. Um, And this this notion fascinated me. I'd never really thought of Israeli cuisine in that way because I hadn't been to Israel since I was a teenager, which was many, many moons ago. And back then, everything was schnitzel or McDavid's. Um, and either way, it was disgusting. Um, the French fries are good, right? I didn't yeah. have that recommendation, <laughs> recollection. In any event, um, I got to be very friendly with Gil. We did a bunch of events together. And about four years ago, um, when Laura, where are you, Laura? When Laura was taking over um, J Arts, she called me up and said, I'm doing this thing, what do you want to do? What, what really interests you? And I said, I want to go to Israel and do this trip. And I think that we should you know, um, find a way to do it and get people to pay for it, and we'll go for free, and we'll eat, and it'll be awesome. <laughs> okay, so it didn't quite work out that way. 
Um, but if you all want to go, I'm happy to lead. And if you just pony up a little bit extra, then I don't have to pay. Um, the notion really was, you know, to go and see this, and it, it timed out really well with, with what Michael Solomonov is doing uh, in Philadelphia and what Alon Shaya is doing in New Orleans and this rise of Israeli cuisine. You know, the, the, the 15 minutes of Israeli cuisine perfectly hit with that trip two years ago. Laura and I were just so blown away by everything that we tasted and came back and we're like, we, we've got to get people to understand and experience this. A year later, that became Taste of Israel. And the hope eventually is that it gets a little bigger. So, Michael, this is Taste of Israel's second year. How do you want to see the event grow and evolve? Global domination. <laughs> I'm all no, for it. Um, I, I think that, you, you know, this is a little sort of maybe a little technical. I'd love to see it more and more adopted here. But um, the, the model in some ways is um, Taste of Iceland. Hmm. Right. So if you look, um, if you want to get a little wonky, the Icelandic Board of Tourism and Icelandic Cod and Reka Vodka and Icelandic Lamb and a bunch of other funders all um, have gotten together and in, they do a Taste of Iceland week in a whole bunch of different cities around the country. That, to me, would be a really great way to grow this rather quickly. At the end of the day, it's all really simple. You know, all this takes is money, right? Um, so developing those sponsorships, the interest will come. Right now, you know, um, as all of everyone here knows, like this is the moment for Israeli and Jewish cuisine, right? So we need to strike while the iron is hot and really try and expand, uh, expand it. Uh, Michael, that was great. And I, I know that you have to... Uh you have to head out shortly, right? Mm -hmm. All right, can we just give a quick round of applause for Michael because we might not be able to later. Thank you. Right, thank you very, very much. And, uh... and uh, now to the rest of our panel, we would love to hear more about your backgrounds and influences. Uh, what influences you when it comes to food? Um, Rachel, let's start with you. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges in a longer career in this industry is to figure out how you get out of the daily grind and continue to draw inspiration um, and continue to feel creative and, I don't know, interested in what you're making, which is part of the reason that I love these kind of, these kind of events like Taste of Israel, because it kind of focuses you to look at something out of the norm, or at least for, for our restaurant, out of the norm. Um, you know, we're anchored in traditional Jewish food, so it's great to have um, have something else to look at for flavors, for different kinds of spices, just, just to kind of experiment with again and get back to that feeling of, of creativity and experimentation in the kitchen and seeing what we can come up with. And I think that's, that's sort of the crux of it. You know, we all get into this challenging industry because we like to make things. Um, and, and especially in Jewish food, I think because we like to bring people together over food and share a meal and share an experience. So when it comes down to that, that like that's really what it's all about is is finding something new and messing around with it and seeing what you can make. Ilan, how about you? Your influences. Hi all. Um, so I opened Bonapita in Downtown Crossing in Boston five years ago with the intention to bring uh, fresh, healthy food with affordable price, and it worked. So uh, we opened another one, and hopefully this year we'll open the third one. And um, for me, uh, cooking and baking, uh, I, can, I guess it's in my blood. Uh, it runs in the family for many, many years. And um, I hope uh, it answers uh, your it's question. Genetic. <laughs> it's genetic. Genetic. Yeah. Avi, how about you? What's up, guys? Um, I mean, for for me, my my influence both like from a poetic standpoint and then actually pretty directly was my dad. My dad came over from Israel when he was 22 um, in 1972. Um, he washed dishes for a few years, and then he was fortunate enough to open his own place. And sort of my entire life, he opened and closed restaurants. Uh, for some reason, pizza shops and Israeli restaurants. And so for me, I mean, I've been cooking since I was four years old, and I never, owning restaurants and cooking was not my goal so much as cooking Israeli food was my goal. Um, you know, 
in a very different way than it, than Elon. I would say that it's it's also very much in my blood, and I would say by the way that it shows very much that it's in your blood. Um, the pita this guy makes, by the way, is fantastic. It's unreal. And um, so for me, it, it was just very authentic. And and I would say that I'm incredibly fortunate in that. Um, you know, as Mike mentioned, this is sort of for whatever reason the stars have aligned, and this is this moment in time for Israeli food. And I'm just like in the right place at the right time to be doing the thing that I love and and I never have to sort of have strategic meetings and decide like what's the right thing to do for my consumer base. I just 10 years ago opened an Israeli street food brand and that kind of did its thing and it's still cranking. And then when I was like, hey, I've got a great staff there and I wanna, I wanna cook this other cool inventive food, I just kind of moved on to doing that. So for me, it's, I, don't, I don't know that I would wanna do something else to be honest with you. So for each of you, uh, how would you describe your connection to Israel and to Israeli cuisine? Well, you just you were going on that tangent anyway, so keep on going. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's funny. Like, uh, So my mom's American. Uh, my mom actually wasn't even raised Jewish. She converted. And my dad is Israeli. And so uh, looking as I do, people like to come into the places that I own, and they're like, who's the Israeli here? And I always say, uh, like, me. And they go, you're an Israeli? And I say, well, by passport. Um, so I, my connection to Israel is my entire family's there. I'm from a huge family there. Um, I, while I'm certainly like very, very close to my mother's family, I would say from a heritage perspective, and I think this is something that like Jay Arts does an incredible job of promoting. Jewish Boston does an incredible job of promoting that like when you're raised in this culture, it's just like there's a responsibility, so to speak, to, to carry that flag. And I think very much for me, before I'm even a Jew, I'm an Israeli. Um, my grandparents gave up everything they had in Turkey in order to raise their, their family very, very poor in Israel. And, you know, there's something unique about, it, about Israelis. There's this tiny little country that's made a lot out of nothing. And part of that is, like, whoever it is, it's your responsibility to carry the flag. So uh, my connection to Israel is very much, I guess, that, that if you're an Israeli, you're an Israeli. And you got to kind of carry that flag loud and, loud and <laughs> proud, like as if you were from New Jersey. <laughs> I am. My wife. My wife is from New Jersey. So, (laughs) Rachel, how about you? Um, Well, I would say my connection to Israel is definitely once removed, certainly from you two. Um, I have I have been lucky enough to travel to Israel once when I was younger with my family, and it left an immediate impression. I mean, just all of the food is visually striking so fresh and delicious and the spices are you know not what you are used to growing up um outside boston so i think for me it it's more of maybe the culinary side of really stuck in my mind and then especially you know i feel uh i guess anchored in sort of jewish heritage not necessarily like a super religious family um but the food has always been central. And so then, especially as I kind of went into this culinary um, career, I guess that's what we'd call it now. Um, uh, for me, it's it's really, it's, it's stimulating. Like looking, reading books, uh, reading recipes, getting to taste different kinds of flavor com- uh, combinations. It's just, it's an endless source of creative inspiration. Awesome, Elan. So in my case, it's easy. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what makes you, what, what is yeah. your connection to Israel, Ilan? So I was born in Jerusalem, grew up close to Tel Aviv, um, and got here when I was 28. So most of, well, I can't say most of my life, because I'm 46 now. Um, so it's almost half of the time, um, here and there. But, um, so I've always been around food. Always uh, been around uh, bakeries. My family opened a bakery in um, 1896 in uh, Jerusalem. And this bakery closed this last year, actually, after it was 123 years old. Wow. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, this bakery is in uh, Mea Sharim in Jerusalem. Baked challah. Most, uh, well, that's what I know. Uh, they used to bake uh, a lot of breads uh, for many years, but in the past couple of years, they baked only challah. Um, it's a staple. I used to bake over there when I was a kid. used to go there with my grandma. She used to work there. She was actually, she was born uh, above the bakery, uh, like the, all the other 10 uh, 
brothers and sisters. <laughs> and um, so the story of the bakery is basically my story. But um, I, I'm also a chef, and I came up with the concept of Bonapita, the whole menu. And um, thank God it's working. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're going to get to that pita later. Uh, I'm wondering uh, how each of your restaurants are participating in Taste of Israel Week. We're serving pork. Uh, <laughs> it's really That's not a joke at all. We're serving pork. Um, yeah, I, I just remember um, a couple years ago. So I'm going to be corny for a second and take, and take a little bit of a path here to, uh, to further praising you. Um, for me, again, growing up, with my, like, my connection to Israel is directly through my father and my family. And my dad is just, I always joke that like, he's like the dictionary, like the Webster's dictionary definition of an Israeli. Like you would see his picture in there. He's like this big and he's ornery and he's argumentative. And for me, like I just grew up with a certain view of the restaurant business and of Israeli food and of Israelis and of being an Israeli. And then as, as an adult and in this business, I've had the privilege of meeting people like yourself, like, uh, like Ohad Angel, who owns Angel's Cafe and Sharon, and, and meeting these people who, who get to just, who redefine Israeli cuisine because they don't have to, they don't, if they don't make falafel or hummus, it doesn't mean that it's not Israeli. It's like my father would say, if someone says, what makes that Israeli? He would say, me, I make it Israeli. And so for me, um, to, to sort of, to, to sort of be included in that conversation. And then I remember we appeared in the same article a few years ago where the question was being asked of Israeli chefs um, like to describe Israeli cuisine. And this was actually, ironically, about six months to a year before Mike Solomonov did uh, In Search of Israeli Cuisine, which was an unbelievable documentary and very cool. Um, and I was quoted as saying, like, I think it's an attitude. Um, it's a thought process. It's a way of going about it. And then when the article came out, your answer was almost exactly the same. And, and I thought to myself, like, that, that there's a truth to that. And so when we were asked to be part of Israeli Restaurant Week, I looked at it, and I'm like, in my restaurant, Simcha, that's what, we have Israeli Restaurant Year. Um, and so I was like, how do we do something different? How do, how do we push the genre forward? And the reality is that it's, it's a tiny piece of the market, but it is a growing part of the market to be serving some of these foods as, as Israel, like the rest of the world, like the United States, becomes more and more secular. And so I said, I want to serve pork. And Laura said, no. And then I said, you never let me do what I want. And then she said, all right, you have to be able to explain it. So Google is my friend. And, um, and I found a, a, an Israeli food truck that is actually now defunct. And we, I started my career as a company that, that ended up with a food truck and is known for its food trucks. And I thought, here's this cool kinship. And then I found out that they were like, claim to fame was this stack of pancakes that was just layered with pulled pork. And they failed, but, um, <laughs> but I said to myself, how Israeli? And so, um, and so I went back and Laura said, you can do it, and so we're gonna serve pork. And um, it's just one of those things that like, I, I always envision my restaurant is named after my, my grandmother, but still I sort of live through my father and I, I always envision whenever somebody wants to challenge me, on, on why something belongs and what I do. I, I always envision my father barking at them that it's because it's mine. And, and so I very politely explain to them that it's because it's mine and this is what I've chosen to do and this is my path and so I will. And then actually there, an article must have come out because I got a, a, a long email all in Hebrew berating me and actually telling me that my grandparents would be ashamed of me. And, uh, and I felt like I'd accomplished my goal. <laughs> Mazel tov. Um, well, we're not serving pork here, but um, I think that's great. And uh, what we have is four additions to our menu, um, a, sort of a range of like small plates and something that's a little bit larger. So we have a, kind of like a, a savory breakfast pastry that's filled with spinach and sumac and feta and topped with a soft-boiled egg. And... We're doing a fried artichoke dish that's actually an Italian dish, but it's um, artichokes all Judea, basically. So it was um, brought to Italy by immigrant by Jewish immigrants, which we thought was a, a nice way to honor the thought of the week, basically. 
Um, and we're doing a Choland dish with um, kishka in there and some just easy to love cookies that are filled with um, chocolate tahini, sum chocolate tahini. So, yeah. <laughs> so how we incorporate the uh, Israeli food. So the thing is that in Bonapita we don't really have an Israeli menu besides the pita. When we first opened, uh, our falafel was black beans and beets, patties, and the shawarma was uh, chicken al plancha. And um, we served, uh, instead of kebab, we made uh, black um, meatballs that are slow cooked in lemon and herbs. And this was the menu, so people who got in were totally confused. Um, but that was, it, it meant to happen. I mean, we wanted to confuse them. We wanted to do something different and not what everybody else does. Um, five years after, we introduced the chickpea zucchini falafel into the menu and um, what's called the sabich, uh, which is the roasted eggplant and the hard-boiled egg. So this is from the past year. For this uh, week, we actually, you guys rushed me to start the breakfast menu. Uh, which planned next month, but we will start the shakshuka uh, for this week. Um, also, uh, borik or borekas with hard boiled egg and uh, pickle. And we have a dish, we did it last year, it was uh, very successful, so we're gonna do it again. It's a deconstructed baba ganoush. Basically, we serve the whole uh, eggplant uh, roasted and we season it uh, in our way. So this is uh, our part for this week. Awesome. So we, we kind of touched upon this a little bit before, but Israel's culinary landscape is a melting pot of flavors from all over the diaspora. But what do you think is unifying about Jewish or Israeli food? Hmm. Uh, me first? Um, uh, I don't know. What is unifying about it? Uh, I mean, in, in Israel or, or the, around the world? Wherever. I mean, I would say that, like, the, the very cool aspect of why it's unifying in Israel and, and sort of why Israeli cuisine is... Because I, I am a proponent that Israel is the coolest culinary scene in the world at the moment. And that's, again, because you're talking about a cultural melting pot of people that have come from a million different places. And it's funny, actually, I just... Um, as part of, like, some promotional thing and something a, a chef from Boston came into my restaurant and posted a picture on Instagram and he has a ton of followers and somebody somebody said he posted my shakshuka and somebody um, of Arab descent said this is uh, this is cultural appropriation and and I and I had a very like actually very pleasant back and forth with this person about the fact that like you can't say that that we've culturally appropriate anything we're we were politics aside we're the same people um, that's actually like like if we've appropriated it, we've just been neighbors. We ate what you ate. We, we ate it together. And so when we moved, it came with us. This is the food that we knew. So my grandparents came from Turkey, and they, they land in Jerusalem. And what are they going to eat? They're going to eat what they, what they eat. But it just so happens that the person on the first floor is from Iraq. Well, they're eating what they're eating. So now, like, now you're starting over again. Now you're eating what your neighbors eat. and you're, So people are coming from all over the place. And then when you, when you consider that... Uh, that then you've got Ashkenazi cultures that are coming in and bringing food in that, that this region doesn't even consider, and that's being introduced into the lexicon. So you can't find a place that has more cultural diversity intertwined yeah. than Israel. Uh, you know, America is a, a beautiful country, but we're huge. And so, like, regionally we change so much. And so, there, you know, we're not eating on the East Coast what we eat in the South, and we're not eating that, those same things in the Pacific Northwest. But in Israel... You're, everybody's eating what these other people are eating, and so you're. And then, then you add to that Israeli culture and this need to to constantly. And I say this affectionately, disagree, and it and, and it leads to this incredible innovation. I don't know what the stat is today, but at some point within the last ten years, I read a stat that Israel was more technologically advanced than the eighty-seven closest countries to it, and. I don't believe that that's like something in, in our genes, it's something in our culture. It's that nobody that is, that is part of Israeli culture sees something and wants to recreate it. 
They see something and they want to do it better. There's just something about Israeli culture that says, like, if he can make... I mean, I'll never make better pita than you, but if, but I'd love to try. I really would. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, like, there's something about this, this culture to do that. And so... Um, and by the way, so you, you said something that I, that I caught early on where you were saying, like, one level removed, but I don't necessarily just necessarily agree with that. I mean, I guess, like, directly, I'm one level removed, and then... But actually, there's something... I mean, you're doing something that in a, in a totally different way than a lot of people do. And there's something so incredibly Israeli or maybe even just Jewish about that. And, and so to me, like, that's what makes Israel so cool is you're, you're taking the most diverse place, packing it into the tightest package, and then adding in this need to one-up everything that ever happens. And all you're getting is this, like, constant mix till, till you're, like, not even sure where it came from, but it's just dope. Yeah, that's a pretty good description. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess to, to build on that, I completely agree with everything you just said, and I think... Thank you. <laughs> um, additionally, I think when it comes to not just Israeli food, but Jewish food, it is so anchored in tradition and family recipes and the heritage that gets passed through from one generation to the next, and this is the way that my grandmother made it, and my grandmother taught my mother, and my mother taught me, and you know that's how this oral tradition and oral history gets passed along. And for Jews everywhere, food isn't just about food and eating because you're hungry. It's about bringing people together. It's about symbolism. It's about sharing sharing an experience and creating something that's about the people that we're with and not, not just food for food's sake. So I think whether it's in Israel, whether it's here in a deli situation or you know anywhere in the world, it, it's about bringing people together and, and telling stories. So I'm the third one. It's hard to <laughs> say anything. You threw, it, you. you threw it to me. But, you could have gone first. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you a story about uh, unifying. So back into the bakery in Jerusalem. So on fr the tradition is not uh, to bake to cook on Saturday. So what do people do? And uh, on Friday uh, afternoon, when the oven was shut off in the bakery, it was a huge oven, a huge brick oven. We talk about size of uh, you know. 10, 15 feet by 15 feet. Um, all the neighbors from the neighborhood used to come into the bakery, bring their own dishes, and push them into the oven. And on Saturday, uh, after they went to synagogue, they came back into the uh, bakery to pull their own dishes and go home, and they had a warm meal. That is smart. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but back then, not everybody could have uh, cooked at home. So that was, uh, but we're talking about a lot of people from all around the world who came into Israel and each one bringing their own dishes. Sometimes there were mix-ups. So you were exposed <laughs> to something new. <laughs> but this is a story. You should open a place that does that. Uh, all jokes aside, I want in on that. That's, uh, you know, like slow cooked let's by, by stone. Do. I mean, maybe not this year. We both have a lot going on, but Next at some year. point, let's do that. <laughs> when, money, when money becomes something we're not interested in, let's do that. Uh, so, Ilan, you get to go first this time. When I think about the amazing meals that I've had in Israel, and I've been lucky enough to go a half dozen times, and there have been spectacular meals, the bread is always a standout. So I'm wondering, what is the secret to making Israeli-level, wicked good pita bread here in Boston? All right, so... If you're willing to review. Can you tell us? Sure, sure. First of, all, first of all, about the pita at Bonapita. We, we bake it fresh in the restaurant, in each one. But it's a process. It's not, we don't harsh the dough, we don't, we, we actually take the time. It's a 24 hours process but it ends up in one minute of baking it. Mm -hmm. So it's a special oven that runs on anywhere from eight to a thousand Fahrenheit. And uh, once the dough process is finished, you just put it into the oven and it takes one minute to bake the pita. And um, that's it. Uh, right now, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's the secret to make it back a, a very good pita. Um, but our pita is vegan. It's um, made out of unbleached flour. Um, and we bake right now around 1,500 at lunch. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> Anybody got anything else with bread? I'm just, just going to say that uh, at Simcoe, we have an oven, a wood-fired oven, which is super cool. And, uh, and it's sitting, ironically, not super cool. It's at like 950 degrees. And we make pita that, like, because you're going to eat it right then for the experience is crazy dope. But I've had... So when Simcoe first started as a pop-up series in Rosendale... Um, somebody that was working for you was uh, was sort of working front of house and, and serving with me and with Jeff Gable, who's here. Um, and uh, and he would bring us pita, and that's what we would eat before service. And I would take it and like and wrap it so that I had it later. And like three days later, it's it's still fantastic. And the stuff that we do at Simca, like I mean, it's awesome because it came out of a very hot oven and it's a cool experience. And but it's not. There's way more to it than you're letting on. It's not this. It's not the same the next day. It's not holding. Like it's just it loses something. And so no, it's not just simply the temperature. Uh, I wish it was. I tuned in as soon as you asked me for the secret. I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> So, Rachel, I actually want to ask you about pastry because that's the only food group that I care about. Um, what inspires the treats that you serve here at Mamala's? Well, I think pretty much everything that we make here, we when we came up with our Mamala's version, um, we started with all, we, all of our recipes, all of our family recipes, and we pulled from all of our different families um, Two of my business partners right here, Rachel and Alan Munzer, are also Jewish. And so we dug deep into our archives um, of our parents and our parents' parents and our aunts and uncles and kind of just did a ton of recipe testing. Um, so we really, we started with super traditional and then kind of like you were saying, you never want to just recreate exactly um, what's written on a page. You always kind of want to put a twist on it. You want to do something a little bit different or figure out how you make it yours. So that's where we started kind of experimenting and do we like, um, I am a firm believer in raisins should not be anywhere near a kugel. Um, thank you for that. And, yes. and also thank, thank God Alan agreed with me because otherwise we would have had a real standoff. But we did come to an agreement to put cornflakes on top, which was something that- That's fine. Um, yeah, that I had that's not fine. grown up with, but it's really good. That's. Yes, exactly. So we just, you know, we pulled bits and pieces from all these different parts of our childhood, what we were used to, and then kind of twisted everything together and made a version that we liked here. And um, I will say, you know, we've all been in the restaurant industry for quite some time, and opening this restaurant was 1,000% different in terms of all of the very specific feedback that we got, especially when we opened. Um, so there was a lot of comments. This is not what my grandmother's tasted like. And how dare you put a spoon in the kasha varnishkas? And, you know, from the rain, the whole gamut. Um, so it was quite a whirlwind. But we've kind of finally settled in and just, you know, we stand by what we make as our version and um, hope that people enjoy it. Awesome. So... Avi, you mentioned um, how someone had commented about the accusation of cultural appropriation. So I kind of wanted to ask, what are some misconceptions that people do have about Israeli food? I don't know if there. I don't know about misconceptions. It's hard. It's hard to have misconceptions about it, only because again, I don't think that it's a. Um, I don't think that it's something that's in a box. Mm. So I don't. I don't know that you can. I guess I would. I would maybe take. I would maybe go at that from the other angle, I would say I think sometimes there's misconceptions that, um, and this is, I don't think this is super hot button, but I do think, again, as somebody who identifies, so for me, growing up, I grew up in Sharon. Um, I live in Sharon now. It's where my restaurant is. It's a great place. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's way more American Jewish or Ashkenazi culture than it is Sephardic or, or Israeli. And so growing up as somebody for whom, like, my father comes from another country. So just like anybody who comes from another country, um, where he's from is something he's super proud of and it's something that he's ingrained in my sister and I. And then, like, we, I mean, I mean, my name is Aviron Shemtov. Like, it's, it's ingrained deeply in, <laughs> it, it's, it's something I was marked with. You're not escaping. And, um... And so because of that, I think I've always been super sensitive to the difference between, I would say a square is a rectangle and a rectangle is not a square. Mm. I, am, I am Jewish and I'm Israeli, but a Jew is not necessarily Israeli. And so one thing that I 
um, have always been super aware of since the chickpea opened is the difference between, like, I just personally am biased against, I don't like being called Jewish food. Um, and so, like, to me, um, I actually, politics aside, I consider my heritage very Jewish Arab. I mean, my, my, father, my father is culturally very Arabic. Um, yeah. All of his friends here in the U.S., he relates more to, my father doesn't relate to the American Jewish community. He relates to like, all of his friends come from Jordan and Iraq, like places, I mean, my father grew up speaking Turkish and Arabic. And so the food we eat and culturally, and so I would think that a lot of times maybe the misconception, especially for Americans, and in particularly I would say American Jews who, who have like a weird relationship with Israel. Um, we getting, sure do. Yeah, and again, without getting into the politics of it, there's this weird relationship with Israel where it's like, it's it's your homeland, but like you don't necessarily understand like what being Israeli is all about, and so there's this there's this weird there's just this weird misconception among the Jewish community of what that means, and so I think as Israelis, a lot of times we are we're in this weird place where it's like yeah we're one of you, but you don't necessarily understand us, and then when it comes to food, it's like that, right? So I think that Israelis who walk into Simcha get what we do. Israelis that would walk into Bonapita in the early years, they would get that. Yeah. In Israel, their steakhouses, well, one thing I'm super proud of at Simcha, and I tell my cooks this all the time, because they're all Americans, I love that they don't get gimmicky with our proteins. Like, we don't crust stuff in a bunch of, in like za'atar and stuff, and go like, oh, that makes it Israeli. Mm. And, um, and to me, like, I got that, that what you do is super Israeli. I, I know, I went to a place last night around the corner that's not Israeli at all, and I was like, this is super Israeli. Um, I mean, it just, it is. And they, they, so, so I would say the biggest misconception of what Israeli food is, is that they've picked these like two or three things that in 1972 were super hot. And so that's what Israeli food is. And that's the box we get put in. And, um, and then the chickpea goes out and sells it. And then it's like, it just pushes the narrative forward. But, um, yeah, I would say, I would say the biggest, the biggest misconception is that it's the same to be Jewish and to be Israeli. Mm. Interesting. Do you guys have thoughts on that? Well, I, uh, I had a conversation today with, with my employees, and it seems like um, they weren't sure if um, Israeli food is Jewish food, or Jewish is Israeli food, and what's the difference. Right. So, um, for example, in uh, Israel, you will have uh, a Jerusalem kugel, which is baked for hours, and uh, over here you'll have a sweet kugel with... Uh, Cinnamon and uh, it's it's a different uh, uh, dish, um, but um, I don't know. Do you have anything else? I mean, I would agree with that. I think all of the food that we make here is very Jewish, but it's very different Jewish. Yeah, um, and it it's you know it's it's just different. So I think probably it's just people's misconception is that that Israeli means definitely Jewish and that's sort of what you were getting at too that 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 Israel's actually like a million different flavors and um, and a lot of them are not <laughs> Eastern European so right. we uh, try to deplatform Ashkenazivity yeah. <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but I think it, it's it's always interesting to explore where they overlap and then where they don't and kind of recognize the um, the all the all the different aspects of all of it. So I'm curious to hear from the panel. What is your favorite Israeli dish, and then what is your favorite traditional Jewish dish? And if they're one and the same, you only have to give me one. Mm. Um, so my favorite Israeli dish is shikshuka. Um, and for me, it's like there were like two or three things growing up that my dad would make and I wouldn't eat, and shikshuka was one of them. And then in my in my early, late twenties or, or late, sorry late teens or early twenties in Israel by myself, I like went to like a chain restaurant Nate Shukka, and it like it just occurred like it just dawned on me what I've been missing and so um, it's my favorite thing to cook it's my favorite thing to eat it's it's definitely my favorite dish as far as what my favorite Jewish dish to eat is I would say that that would be chamin um, and the reason I consider it very Jewish again is that like. My father is very, he was raised very religious. And, um, and so he's still very religious between his ears. And so he, like, growing up, it, it was, you didn't know, are we cooking this Saturday? Are we not cooking this Saturday? I don't know. Um, 
I know we're driving. I just don't know if we're cooking. Um, and so, but we always had chameen in the house. And so, like, growing up, and I don't eat tripe, um, but I did growing up because I didn't know better. And so um, it, that was just something that, like, you know, my dad growing up, um, like you mentioned, they don't cook on the Sabbath, and, and my father was raised in Jerusalem, and so it was just like, this is what there was to eat on Saturday, and it's still m- my favorite, like, and there's a religious experience. I'm, I'm not, I'm very spiritual and not religious, and there's a very spiritual experience eating that and understanding that, like, this is born of the idea that, like, we don't, we don't cook on that day. So I eat that, and then I drive. So. <laughs> Well, I'm the worst with these with these pick a favorite thing because I don't know, I just I can never seem to decide on one thing. Majem and I go around and around and around and back to the first one and then back to the last one. Um, so for Israeli food, I, I, I don't even know I, I don't even know if I could pick just one. What I will say is I definitely want to make it to your restaurant to try the eggplant this year because I saw pictures of it last year and it looked incredible and it sounds delicious. Um, and then for Jewish food, I think, I don't know if I had to pick one, I would say similarly, I grew up very, um, not religiously Jewish, but, um, I'd say food centrically Jewish. Um, and (laughs) Yom Kippur was my favorite time of the year because breakfast is like my most favorite meal. Um, just the idea of like there's there's no pretense. You walk in, you go straight to that buffet table. Like it's every man for themselves. And you know there's just there you didn't have to sit through a seder and you didn't have to sit through the prayers. You just you go straight. You fill up your plate with like an incredible lox bagel use tower. In my house we didn't yeah. even use plate for like just yeah. Out. It's just you know it's just that raw like we're here for the food and then we'll talk later. Um, and my sister and I would go back and forth all the time on the correct construction of, you know, whether does the locks go on the top or does the, does the tomato go on the top or what's going to slide. You have to bury the capers and the cream cheese because otherwise they just fall all over the place. So this that's very like, well thought out. It's a pro yeah, move. No, I've never thought this of you is just changed smart. my life. Yeah, no, you, that's, that's the proper, I mean, that's the proper construction. I've, I've and now tried it all. Know. So <laughs> I would say that, like, that's the, that's the dish for me that's like, I'm Jewish because... I eat that bagel, that bagel construction. <laughs> awesome. It's a tough one. First of all, each holiday has its own dishes, and all those dishes are great, so I love them all. Uh, as Israeli, give me a hummus plate, and I'm mm-hmm. happy. If you can uh, put some shakshuka inside, even better, <laughs> or ground beef. So there's many what about options. about pulled pork? <laughs> Let's stop here. <laughs> Keep coming back to pork. Sorry about that. So, um, but my favorite dish is pizza. Mm. <laughs> You're on brand, by the way, too, with your shirt. I didn't mention that, yeah. but you've got the Bonapita shirt. So. so my question is, what do you think are some of the most exciting trends in Israeli cuisine? And please do not say chocolate hummus. <laughs> Don't say it. I wasn't going to say it. Okay. Why does it always start with me? Um, Most exciting trends in Israeli cuisine. Pork. Um, Listen, to me, I mean, not pork's a joke. um, Although it is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not a joke. Um, I would say seafood. It depends on what you But they're coming with the kosher pork. Sure. Oh, kosher pork's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, it's about... Uh, I forgot. It's a family show. Um, the, uh, the, anyway, no. Um, I would say, in all seriousness, for me, it's seafood. Um, I just think, like... Like I said, I, don't, I just don't... Ten years ago... And by the way, I'm not going to take all the credit for this. But ten years ago, I opened the Chubby Chickpea, and we had, a, like, you know, I was... 24 years old, I had this idea that like you open a company, you're official, you write a mission statement. And so our mission statement was to popularize Israeli cuisine through a a consistent customer forward experience. And now I look back and I'm like, you go out to just trendy hipster spaces and they serve Israeli food. That's just like what they do, right? And and I remember at, at the first Bubby's I was at, like serving shakshuka and everyone's going, what is this? What is and now shakshuka again, if it's a hipster, they're serving shakshuka. And so to me, I just try to keep my eyes forward on like, where are we going next? What's the next move? And to me, and, and you know, in Israel, Israeli cuisine bears this out. 
as Israel becomes more and more secular, there are proteins being introduced that, that are not traditional. And I think that there's something, as somebody that loves food, that loves experimenting, that loves pushing things forward, I think there's something very exciting and trendy in introducing uh, new proteins to the flavor profiles that we understand. And, um, you know, as Mike referenced at the beginning, there's, there's this whole revolution sort of happening and Alon Shia's near the forefront of it and so is Mike Solomonov. And um, I think both of them, so Alon was here in the spring maybe, yeah. spring, and um, with his cookbook and, and we were lucky enough to sit down and have brunch and, and have a conversation and he, he gives a lot of credit and, and I think... Well, I certainly give him credit and Solomono credit. I also, we both turn back to Odalangi, outside of Israel, right, in, in, uh, in London, pushing, putting out a book and going, this is Israeli cuisine. And it doesn't look anything like you think Israeli cuisine does. And so all of a sudden, American foodies start turning their attention to this new idea that we, that we are putting flavors out into the world that don't have to look and smell exactly like they always have and so now, I, I remember when we first started Simcha as a pop-up series, we, we were doing some things with seafood and pork that, that wasn't at Zahav. And now I'm always excited when you look at that and now you go, okay, now Shia is putting pork belly on his menu. Now at Zahav, it's not a problem to serve seafood. And, and so I think it's, that's what excites me is that we're, we're pushing forward and we're going to places that not everybody's comfortable with and that's cool, that's totally fine. Um, I think all those criticisms you got that, that, that you weren't, this wasn't how someone's grandma, that's a compliment. If, I mean, listen, I love my grandmother's food, I love it, but I don't aspire to cook food that someone says to me reminds them of their grandmother. I mean, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great compliment in some restaurants. It's not a great compliment in mine. And so that's, that's what excites me is, is seafood. Mm. So uh, this is something we hear a lot from uh, our guests in the restaurant. Um, just imagine you get a sandwich at lunch and there's no cheese in it. Um, you have a salad. Um, pita with chicken and a salad, tahini. It's not a normal thing here in the States. Uh, almost every sandwich has a uh, cheese. So um, this is a trend. Something changes. People like it. They feel uh, healthier. They feel the light. They feel they have lunch and they can still have dinner. <laughs> and um, this is a trend. But I can tell you about the Israeli trend. Is that um, you see that the street food is getting into the upscale restaurants. And it just served in a nicer way. You just played it differently. But eventually it's all the food that we used to eat in, at home. If it's a, I don't know, even a hummus plate now, you go into a fancy restaurant and you get a hummus plate. So, and you can see it here in New York too, right? In many of the um, Israeli in chefs, right? In Sharon. Probably in right. Roxbury, no? Uh, West Roxbury, <laughs> Sharon, yeah. Right. So, um, this is it. I don't know if I have anything to add. I just want to say, I think that that is, uh, I think that's an important point because I think that's a reflection. And that's what's so cool about food is, I think that's a reflection of, of Israeli cuisine, like in Israel, Israeli cuisine reflecting its own influence on the world. So like in Israel, um, I mean, even as recently as, I don't know, maybe more than a decade ago, but even as recently as like my adult lifetime, falafel's only in the street. Shawarma's only in the street. Hummus is only in the street. But now, as, as Israeli food has spread, spread global and other, other places in the world have reflected those things by, by bringing them upscale, now, all of a sudden, cooking Israeli food is cool, yeah. even in Israel. And so that was, I thought, a point that Alon Shaya made when he was here was, he, uh, when he gave a talk promoting his book, he's, he's, he mentioned that, again, the important thing about the Jerusalem cookbook was that it made Israelis even in the States, comfortable cooking Israeli food. And I think there's something like really bizarrely cool about Israeli chefs being comfortable cooking Israeli food yeah. instead of aspiring to be like Europe or, or, South, or South America. Now, Israeli chefs have a fabulous advantage. They have access to incredibly fresh ingredients because the country, as we mentioned a couple times here, it's tiny and it's largely self-sufficient in its food supply. 
you're all making incredibly fresh food. How do you replicate that kind of food here in greater Boston where, if you look outside, there's not a damn thing growing? You don't. Uh, (laughs) You don't. You become, you adapt. You become yourself. You become, um, I mean, if if you look into the history of some things that are made in Israel, um, it's not necessarily what folks were eating. And again, remember, like if you're within the region, if you're emigrating to Israel from somewhere close to it, you're probably dealing with some of the same things, but sometimes you're not. And so you're adapting. You're, it's not the same dish. It's, it's an, an adaptation. And so I don't, I don't know, for us, sometimes it's pickling. Sometimes it's changing out what you're using. I mean, Northeast winters suck. Like the reality is there's not, you don't, you, uh, you pivot or quite honestly, sometimes you pivot off of your demand to have local or to have like to some Mexico is growing vegetables sometimes. So, um, I mean, it's just, it's tough. It's, it, it's a tough thing. And so you can't be, you cannot cook fresh Israeli food with produce in it all year round here in the Northeast. Like that's just not a reality. Right, I think. Um, I think yeah, maybe you can. <laughs> I, mean, I want to know the secret. Yeah, I think it's about you know sourcing and you make different choices. So maybe you know when we live in New England in the summer, we have the luxury of being able to use local farms and to use everything that's around us. And in the winter, maybe we make different choices for where we get stuff. You know, we still obviously are always trying to support um, local businesses and use things that are around us. But I think. Number one, accepting the fact that there's no way we can make like real Israeli food and the vibrant vegetables and all of the flavors that are in the Mediterranean here. So it's going to be inspired by that, but different. And then also figuring out what other options there are in terms of bringing in some different kinds of flavors into what we have just you know at our fingertips. So although at Bonapita it's a uh, it's a uh quick service restaurant um, it's, ex- it's basically a scratch kitchen it's, uh, we, we make everything from scratch we uh, really push it to the uh, to the edge of how far can you go with the uh, fast food but it's all about how you source it and where you bring the things you know in, uh, in the winter time so if a case of uh, tomato costs us in regular times uh, $20 a case Winter time we pay 60, but you still get a good quality of tomatoes if you wish to do it. I could have uh, taken the uh, tomatoes out of the menu and say we don't serve tomatoes in the winter, but I, I, I want to serve the salad as we normally do. So it's about sourcing and um, luckily you can get everything. And we import tahini from different places because we want a certain one and we want the uh, chickpeas to be the certain chickpeas or we bring it from Canada or from Turkey and you you have to do your sourcing but you can get here in the States almost everything and you can even go to a grocery store like the butchery you can get everything Israeli over there so what do you hope Bostonians gain from being exposed to Israeli cuisine and I'm going to start with you this time so first of all as was, as you said before, uh, food brings people together. So hopefully uh, all the Israeli restaurants in Boston or in this area are serving good food and this uh, can help each other. Um, but this is basically what people are going to get this week, uh, <laughs> to be exposed to Israeli food. And hopefully they like it. Yeah, I would say I think it's always good to expand what you are used to and what you know and to try different flavors and to try um, things that you don't usually, you know, decide to automatically order off of a menu. And I think in, you know, probably a naive but hopeful way, um, I also hope that kind of how you were talking about it's, you know, it's our neighbor's food and you share a meal with your neighbor and then it becomes yours and kind of just reminding us that we're all just people and we're all just people and we all love to eat and we love to cook and that, you know, obviously you can't simplify all of the politics surrounding all of this and not just in the Middle East but in our world in general just to 
take a second to remember that we're just we're all we're just all people and it doesn't necessarily have to get so much more complicated than that yeah world peace um i think that uh <laughs> I, I i think that um no i'm glad you said it first to be honest um i guess naively or or um idealistically um, I would hope that there's an understanding and an appreciation of Israeli culture that leads to um, that leads to an understanding of Israel's sort of right to their autonomy. Um, and and uh, while we certainly say like politics aside, I don't I don't as somebody who identifies with Israel and considers himself very much Israeli, I don't ever wish anything bad on any of our neighbors or folks living in our country of different cultures, but I also do believe deeply that there's this very strange divide in America, and in, protect, in particular in the American Jewish community, where there isn't enough support of, of Israel. And so, while when, when you go forth and you eat our food and you learn to appreciate our culture, I hope sometimes that that brings some, some level of support for the fact that uh, that well 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 everybody on both sides of every issue is human and just wants the same thing they just want to eat they want to raise their kids they want happiness we do too and so um, I think sometimes Israel suffers a little bit from bad PR in the world and people think that that it's this thing and it's mil- militaristic and it, and there's this real negative connotation and and I hope that as people enjoy our food they learn to understand and appreciate that. Um, Israel's a, a place that's very global. It's very welcoming. Tourism's a huge industry there. Um, it's incredibly safe to visit. And I, I would just hope that people sort of learn to look at Israel from a different angle. Yeah. Well, sorry, did you have something you want to say? Okay, we're going to turn it over to the audience now. Uh, one rule, raise your hand for the question and wait until you have the mic, because if we don't have a mic, we won't get you in the podcast, and your fame chances will be greatly diminished. I have a question for Avi. What was it that you said that you ate that couldn't be co- that had to be cooked on Friday? For oh, Hamin, um, you call it cholent. Um, oh, cholent. We just make it like a little bit deeper in flavor with a little bit more love. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke. Growing up, growing up, growing up, my dad would like offer me hot peppers, and if I wouldn't take them, he would look at me and go, "What are you, Ashkenazi?" Uh, Thank you all. This is awesome. Um, my question is for whoever wants to take it. I'm curious uh, what you would suggest a novice cook try to cook at home. What would be one dish you would recommend? Yeah, I think you should try to make pita. Um, that's not even my... Now just, I'm answering for you. Just crank the oven um, all the way up. Don't worry about smoking out the kitchen. Do you guys have any... I mean, I feel like I talk too much, but... Um, Definitely me, a shikshuka. Shikshuka, yeah, shikshuka is so, super easy. I think my answer to that question all the time is everything. Like, every... Because here's the thing. Food is not... Although we're in the business of having you believe that it's really difficult um, and that only we can do it, the reality is that, like... I mean, I don't know, just like you're going to learn through failing. So make everything. Don't be afraid of it. Um, try, what about hummus? Could you just start with hummus? You have a food processor? Hummus. Start with hummus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much. That was all the questions? That, that was, was apparently all the questions. Jesus. Uh, Thank you so much to our panel for sharing your thoughts with us. Let's give them a huge round of applause, please. And thank you to all of you, our audience, for coming out for this event. Clap for yourselves. Be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to this podcast, The Vibe of the Tribe, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or tune in now. Go forth and eat. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>